0: be able to come to church on Wednesday night, and I'm so glad that you're here. I hope you're enjoying this study through Exodus, and as much as I am, because there's so many parallels to who Jesus is in the New Testament, and all that Jesus does. We see types of Jesus throughout this story, and that's what makes it so exciting for us to study. Um, Tonight, in Israel's journey, we, we find them still in the... Desert. They've only been about maybe 40, 50 days from their deliverance from Egypt. So they haven't been out in the wilderness that long. And God is not in a hurry to get them to their real first destination. The first destination that's important in this story is Mount Sinai. Because you know what happens at Mount Sinai, right? That's where they get the Ten Commandments. That's where God establishes his, this nation, a people, that, that he has called out from this family, Tamar and Ur of the Chaldees through the man Abraham. All of his promises to Abraham are now coming true, and as he brings his people to the promised land before they get there, he's going to give them rules, the Ten Commandments. Now, they're on their way to Mount Sinai right now, and they're going through a series of tests. God is testing them because They haven't been faithful. In fact, they're very faithless people. And so God is bringing them through this. You could call it spiritual boot camp. You could actually call it that because they're going through some crises here. They've gone through, already gone through a couple. Uh, Back in uh, chapter 15, uh, they came to Mara, and it was water. They didn't have any water to drink, and and, uh, secondly, There was a shortage of food, and last week in chapter 16, God miraculously provided manna and quail. God loves these people, and he isn't adjudicating them. Remember, they're complaining and they're murmuring, but God is is really answering their needs. He's showing his grace to his people. He hasn't given the law. Once he gives the law to them, they're going to be accountable to that law, but right now he's very, very gracious with them, And in this chapter, in chapter 17, they're once again looking for water. God brings them to the, probably the driest place they've been, and there's no water in sight. And they have a bunch of livestock. Remember, they're people that have sheep and cattle, and they're bringing all this livestock through the desert, and now there's no water. There's no water for them, for their families, for the, their livestock. And so they begin to murmur and grumble because they don't have what they think they really need. Have you ever been there in a place where you, you don't have what you really think that you need? But God has better for you and I. And he doesn't give it to you, right? Well, God, I just want what I, I don't want it right. And you start to murmur. You start to complain. That's what they're doing. God is with them miraculously. How? Every day there's a cloud that guides them, protects them from the desert sun. Every night they have this gorgeous nightlight, this column of fire right over them, protecting them, watching over them. God has miraculously provided for their journey in every way, but all they do is complain and grumble. Kind of sounds like you and I. When we get fed up, when we just get tired, we can't handle it anymore, we begin to grumble, complain. It just kind of pours out of us. I read about a man. He went to the dentist, and while he was at the dentist, he he had to have a tooth extracted, when he went up to pay his bill, it was $500 for one tooth to be extracted. And he was really upset. He said, 500 bucks for one tooth? It only took you a minute, doctor, to do that. And the dentist looked at him patiently, and he said, well, I could have pulled it out slower if you wanted me to. We, we murmur and complain and we're impatient about everything. This story is about the Israelites, and they're wandering through the desert, and it helps us to understand where we are in our lives today. You should always take the Bible and apply it to your life today, and this story, again, is a great story to help us. When we get to a place of complaining and murmuring. It's always the same. We forget God's provision. We forget his promises. We forget where he's brought us. And that one issue, it becomes so large and in front of us, it blocks out. It eclipses God's promises and things. And so God is teaching these people. He's faithful to them. There's a cloud of fire last night, and these guys are murmuring the next day. It's really a remarkable story. So here we are in chapter 17. These people have just begun. They've only been a few months in their their journey here. And they're grumbling again because they don't have what they think they need. Let's pray and then we'll read verse 1. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, the wonderful, the deep truths that that you've placed here for us to discover. You want us to read. You want us to think. You want us to to, uh, reason. Lord, with your word, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us tonight, and that we as your people, Lord, would learn and grow and mature because of your word. In Jesus we pray, amen. Beginning in verse 1, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now we've heard this complaint before, haven't we? And they're complaining, they're murmuring again. Uh, instead of remembering what they did have, manna, they woke up with manna. It was remarkable. And now they're complaining that afternoon. It's, it's, they, they're forgetting everything that God's doing. Someone said this. They said, some people grumble because roses have thorns rather than being thankful that thorns have roses. And you can always look at everything different in the half-filled glass. And with God, listen, we need to trust him. He brings us to a place where it's difficult, it's trying, and that tests us. Why? So that we know who we are. So we know what we need to work on. Lord, I really failed that test. I need to trust you more. I need to pray more, Lord, because I don't have the faith. I need to read more. I need to love you and your people more. God brings us to these places where we're tested, and we complain about our struggles. And when we do that, we minimize the promises of God, right? So we we have to be very careful as God's people. Listen, I'm talking to you, you're God's people, and I'm talking to myself here. We're not to minimize his promises. We're not to minimize his word. We're to be faithful. We're to walk before Him in love. We're to, we're to trust Him through those difficulties and trials in our life. Now, it's important to note in this story tonight that God has led His people here. He hasn't let them. They're not just wandering around. God is leading them. Remember, there's the nightlight, there's the cloud. He's leading them. Although the story doesn't mention those, we know that to be true back in chapter 13. The, God has provided for them those things. But here's my point tonight to begin with, God leads them to a dry place. He's leading them to a dry place. Notice, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on the journey from wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord. So God is leading them to that place. He brought them to that place without water for a purpose. What was the purpose? Trial. God is testing them once again. And all of these pre-Sinai wilderness tests that they're going through. I told you there were four of them last week. We've already looked at two. This is the third one. And all of these tests that God is bringing them through are designed to prepare them for when he gives the law to them. Because when he gives the law to them, he's going to hold them accountable in a different way than in these original tests that we're reading about in these pre-chapters here before they get to Mount Sinai. Each time in each test is the same. They start their journey. God leads them miraculously with a cloud and of fire and shade, and then they get to this place of testing. They were tested at the Red Sea, and they murmured. They were tested for the, by the water, the Mara, the bitter water, and they failed the food. They murmured and complained. And finally, in each one of the tests, God, he provides for them what they need. He doesn't impugn them he just tells Moses what to do to to remedy the situation God is teaching them these hugely important lessons here and it's really similar to the lessons God teaches you and I and I say that because every one of you here you're either in a trial right now you've come out of a trial or you're headed for one Amen? amen that is the life of the Christian. Wow, it almost sounds like torture for a Christian. That's not torture. Because in those trials, you meet the sweetest grace of the Lord. You hear his voice in the trial. You feel his touch in the trial. You'd never feel his touch if you weren't sick. And so God brings you in a trial, and he touches you. He speaks to you. He leads you through that trial, all for the purpose of your growth and maturity and walking in the Lord. Now, these people, they have a legitimate concern. There's no water for their families or herds, but they're not trusting God. Instead, notice in verse 2 and 3, they contend with Moses. Again, it says they contend with Moses. Give us water that we may drink. And then they complain down in verse 3, why is it that you brought us here to kill us and our children? That's their complaint. Now, The way it's worded here, if you think about it, the way they're wording their complaint, it's legal in nature. In other words, it's carrying the idea that they're making a charge against Moses here. You brought us out here to kill us. They're charging Moses with those words. Again, they think they're taking Moses to court and they're gonna rally voices um, around their complaint with the other people there in their crowd. And notice that Moses, in verse 4, he even fears for a death sentence. I mean, that's what Moses actually fears here. But here's here's the lesson for you and I. When we complain about things in our life, we're really accusing God of not being with us. When we complain about things in our life, they're not going, why, why me? Why this? Why, why, why? When we are complaining like that, we're really stepping away from that place of walking in faith with the Lord, and we've taken upon all those decisions for ourselves. We're not trusting the Lord. We're not walking by faith. Paul told the Philippian believers to obey God. This is what he says in Philippians, do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, you shine as lights in the world when you don't complain. I know this, these are hard words, aren't they? When we complain, we're minimizing God's provision for us. We've maximized our complaint and minimized our faith and trust in the Lord, complaining, grumbling, murmuring. Every one of those is the opposite of walking by faith and trusting God to provide. And then here in verse four, notice God's gracious response. It begins in verse four with Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. They're they're gonna kill me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. So I want you to go beyond the people, beyond the two million herd and and the tents and the crowd. Go way beyond. He's going to send them out beyond with the elders. Go before the people and take with you some of the elders and take in your hand the rod. Now, God calls it your rod. And you'll notice Moses will say, it's God's rod. It's really interesting the way that, that is turned around. Moses sees the rod as God's power. And God sees Moses holding that rod as, as, as uh, using that, his authority that he's given to Moses. And God tells Moses two things. He says, go ahead, take the elders, and, and I'm going to show them my power. I want your elders, all the elders of Israel to know the power. Because right now it's just you and you can't communicate to too many people. So I want the elders to come with you. I'm going to show you my power. They're going re- to see it. And then... This miracle, again, it's a generous miracle. It's a gracious miracle. God isn't rebuking them. He's saying, boy, those people are stubborn. I'm going to wipe out a few. I'm going to make them sick. He doesn't do that. He, he just is going to show a gracious and humble and wonderful and beautiful, miraculous uh, response to the people in a, in a meaningful miracle here. Because in striking the rock, Moses, he was doing something that pictured what God would do in the future in our redemption and delivering us. This whole episode has so much in common with your redemption. Now I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians. Hold your place here. I want you to, I, you've got to see this. I've got to make this correlation. You've got to see this in your brain here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where Paul writes about this very Episode, the children of Israel wandering through the desert wilderness. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, if you jump down to verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, this is what Paul says. Now, all these things happened to them, that would be the the Israelites in the wilderness, as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon. Whom the ends of the ages have come. So, this whole story of the Exodus is this deliverance from slavery and the sin of Egypt is like our deliverance from sin and bondage. The, the whole story pictures, Paul says, they've, all this has been written down for us. This whole experience ty- typifies Jesus Christ, pictures Jesus Christ in so many ways. Go back to verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all the fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. That's the man and the quail. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The rock that we're looking at in Exodus chapter 16 typifies, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul makes the the example here for us. Paul describes the rock that produced the water as a type of Christ because it's the same rock here in Exodus 17. Jesus was struck when he went to Calvary. He willingly laid down his life and he was struck there. And from his body came life, sustenance, provision for what? For all sinners, right? It's the blood that was shed from the body of Jesus that provides our cleansing our forgiveness from all sin. It's, his body was struck. This rock is going to be struck. It's going to provide provision for all those people out in the dry desert. And so Paul is making that clear uh, example there. As the water flowed out of the rock, water flowed out of Jesus, the living water flowed out of Jesus because Jesus was struck. Now remember, Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, this is a great example here, that he was the living water. Jesus answered John 4.10 and said to her, if you knew the gift of God who is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Again, the the example is just so stark and so it's beautiful. The the more you look at the scripture, the more you see how God ties this story so wonderfully, so beautiful. Nobody could have ever written this, but God. Now go back to Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6 there, where God tells Moses, notice what he says, Exodus 17 verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so. And he did it in the sight of the elders. So Moses takes the rod that he had struck the water with in Egypt and it turned to blood made it undrinkable. Now he's striking the rock and from the rock comes water that's drinkable for the the people. It's, It's a miracle and it pictures Jesus Christ. Jesus would be struck on the cross and from him would be provision for you and I. In the desert, he struck the rock, and it was provision for these people. Now, in verse 7, when I come to my next point here, the meaning of Massa and Meribah. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, the word Massa means test or trial, and Meribah means quarrel. So God's brought them to a test, and they quarreled. They argued. They, they were murmuring throughout this whole thing. They, obviously, that's what the names are about. Moses is naming this place because they quarreled with him. So he names that place. And interestingly, they dared to question God's provision. If you notice the end of verse 7 there, is the Lord among us or not? Now, here's the lesson for for us. It's never a good thing for the chri- Christian to question God. Now, I know we all do it. I, I admit that I do it, but it's never a good thing. It's better to just step back and say, Lord, I don't, I don't really understand this, but I trust you. You've never led anybody wrong. You have a plan that I don't understand, and I'm confused, but, but Lord, I'll trust you wherever you take me God is to be trusted because he is God. That's why we trust him because he knows all things. He knows your heart, he knows what you need. Before you ask it, he knows your prayer. And he's to be trusted with everything. He already has shown that he's trustworthy to these people. He's provided for them, he's protecting them. So God is to be trusted no matter what. That's what this whole episode reveals. It it reveals the the immaturity of the children of Israel. They're very, very weak in their faith. They're faithless often. I mean, in the morning, they're faithful because they get their food, and by the afternoon, they're faithless again. So they're really not walking with the Lord. They're not trusting the Lord. They're doubting God, even though God, through miraculous power, has marched them through the dry seabed of the Red Sea protecting them from Egypt, the Egyptian advancing Egyptian army, which, by the way, they looked back in the sea and God wiped them out. That was, that was an awesome blessing for them. Then God provides water for them, 2 million people water. They got to remember the oasis there at Mara. It was bitter. They couldn't drink it. They're like, oh, what are we going to do now? Moses, God instructs Moses, throw in the wood, throws the wood in, and boom. It's fresh water. And then we don't have any food, so God provides quail every day. They'll, they came to the camp. Listen, I mean I I I I'll admit that I like to hunt birds, doves and and ducks. I love to do that. It's it's a fun thing, but I have to go out and slog through the mud to do that. These guys the, the quail just came into the camp. And I I don't know how they got the you know, they Whacked them, chased them, grabbed them, whatever, but they had fresh meat. And then every morning they had this manna. All of it was God's provision for these people. Now hundreds of years later, the people of Israel are going to remember this story. And this becomes the basis of one of their their favorite feasts. Remember the Israelites. Even today, you go to Israel, and there's a feast almost every month. They're celebrating. The people love to celebrate, worship God, dance, sing, eat. That's what they love to do, and they're going to do that through what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's in John seven that they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. The, all the Jews are celebrating, and, and Jesus stands up in the midst of the celebration, and he says, "If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink." He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see the correlation? Do you see the similar? As we look at Exodus 17, the striking of the rock typifies Jesus Christ and his provision. The rock of Manasseh and Meribah, they become a symbol of God's presence. And in the scriptures, you'll recall, as you read through the Bible, you'll recall the rock, the rock. There's many inferences to the rock. Jesus is the rock. Peter is at that place in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And and Peter's name is Little Rock. Remember Petros. The rock is a, a, a term that we see throughout the scriptures. Here's a psalm, Psalm 105, verse 41. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Just a beautiful psalm and remembrance of all that God has done. Now, here's the truth, Christians. Any one of you could be in a wilderness experience or test right now. Any one of you right now could be in a place where you're being tested, And if this is you tonight, this is what I would urge you, to trust and obey. To trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to trust and obey. You just need to trust the Lord through your trial and through your difficulty. God is testing his people here so they know who they are, where they're at in their walk of faith. God uses tests and trials and wilderness experiences in our lives as well. Maybe maybe he's just showing you that he wants to grow you in your faith. And so he's taking you through this wilderness experience. Whatever the reason, you you just need to run to the Lord. You run right back to Jesus. He's the source of living water for you and I. He can answer your need. He can provide what you need. You need to just run to the Lord. I, I believe he'll do that. Now, in verses 8 through 16, there's another test. Here's another test at the end of this chapter, but it happens in the same location, this Raphidim, same place. That's why this chapter is kind of put together here. In verse 8, we have the Amalekites, or Amalek, attacks Israel here. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Raphidim. Now, if you remember... Amalek. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. The children of Israel come from which patriarch? Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's why it's called the children of Israel. Jacob had a twin brother. His name was Esau. And so these are the people that were outcasts. Remember the birthright and the whole story and the way that Jacob ripped off his brother, connived and schemed and stole from him his birthright? And how Esau, you know, for, for a little porridge, you know, gave his birthright away. He despised his birthright. Well, this is his family, and they're wandering. They're, they're nomads out in the desert, and now they've come together. Now, we're not sure why this battle takes place. could have been because the children of Israel have water there's no water in the desert. Maybe it was over water. I don't, I don't know. Could be because they remembered their great, 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 great family member, Esau, and, and all the trouble. What, you know, we just really don't know. But these people are the descendants of Jacob's twin brother, Esau, and they attack Israel there in the desert. And in, according to Deuteronomy 25, look at this verse with me. They were picking off the stragglers from the back end here. Deuteronomy 25, remember that Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear. So the Amalekites were coming, maybe stealing whatever they had, the the stragglers. So you have this big, massive group, 2 million people moving, moving, moving. And way out on the fringe, there was the stragglers and they were attacking. You know, criminals always do that. They attack the vulnerable, right? And that's what they were doing there. So, Moses here, he's going he's to choose someone that is very, very important in the rest of the story and, and in the Bible. The next important person in the Bible after Moses. You know who he is, but Moses tells Joshua, he picks Joshua to fight this battle. Maybe Joshua's muscle bound. Who knows? obviously a young man. Moses is over 80 years old, by the way, in this story. So maybe he's figuring, I don't think I can run this battle here. So I'm going to pick a younger man, and I want you to go pick some other younger men because you're going to have to go fight these, these people here. And verse 9, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Again, it's important to note that it's Joshua here. We're introduced to him in this story. So Moses not only trusts Joshua, but he trusts Joshua to choose others to fight with him. And it's always good to remember, too, as, as we ever, whenever you mention that name, Joshua, remember, that was our Lord's real name. Did you know that? We say Jesus, that's the Greek name. The Hebrew name is Joshua or Yahshua. So Jesus' real name is Joshua. Again, do you see the similarity here in the scripture? Again, we're all these things are so important for us and we see them. You should go, wow, that's cool. Wow, look how God works. But again, it's Joshua now who we are introduced here in this story. And Joshua becomes another type of Christ in this great story because it was Joshua who fights and conquers the enemies of his people, just like Jesus defeated our greatest enemy, number one, Satan, number two, death. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus defeated death. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians He says this, he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't even have to fear death as believers because Jesus defeated death on the cross by his resurrection. But again, this parallel between Joshua of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament is worth talking about or at least pointing out here. Now, in verse 10 through 13, we have the course of the battle. Notice, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the hilltop. So Moses goes up to the hilltop because he's going to look down and see the battle. He's going to kind of watch over what's happening on the battlefield there. Verse 11, so it was when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But when he let his hands come down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now that little phrase there, held up his hand, it just describes something very endemic or, or the same thing. When you go to Israel, Israel, Jews, they don't pray like this. They don't pray like this. Israel say, oh, God of the heavens, would you come down and help us? Come and heal my mother or help my situation. The Jews always pray like that. We're the ones that pray like this. I think that was a Sunday school teacher's ploy to get their classroom under control bow your heads and close your your eyes. What? Close your eyes, you know, when you pray. But the Israelites, they never did. They held their hands up. This is a picture of Moses. Why is he holding his hands up? He's in prayer. He's saying, God, strengthen your people. He's holding his hands up, and he's in an act of prayer. As long as his hands are held up and, and he's in that place of prayer, the Israelites prevail. But after a while, I mean, have you ever stood there for a while like this? I mean, we don't stand long enough you know, in worship time like this, but even in a few short minutes, your arms get tired. Can you imagine all day holding your arms up? So now he's got this support from Aaron and her, and as long as they hold his hands up, representing the prayer to the Lord, the army of Israel prevails. Again, this is one of those real interesting things about prayer. It's it's the power of God, but it's God uses the servant, God uses you and I to pray, doesn't he? It's a real mystery. Prayer is such a, a, a divine mystery. God allows you to participate to get things done as you pray and as you ask the Lord. Uh, he, he does certain work when people pray, and so we're to keep praying. As long as Moses kept his hands up, they prevailed. Again, it's, it's interesting, man's activity and God's power. They, they kind of come together here in prayer. And Moses prays, again, with his arms up, and Aaron and her are assisting them. As long as they assist him, they win. So God here is supplying his power to those that are praying. This is an interesting thought about prayer. I think we're having our week of prayer come up. It's the first week in May, and I hope that you will come and participate. We're going to do Sunday night. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and Thursday afternoon. And you don't have to be at every one, but you should come out to one or two, or you should come to as many as you can. Without prayer, this church has no power. Without prayer, this ministry has no power. It's, it's, it's a mystery, but God's power and man's activity in prayer work together. And we need to be a people that pray. God supplies His power As a result of their prayer, notice verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Why? Because Moses was praying, because of that prayer that was going on. That's a great lesson for us tonight. Just as Israel depended on God for their victories, we have to depend on God and his power through prayer for ours. There are people in our fellowship that are sick. Have you been praying for Pastor Sergio? Have you been praying for some of these people in our fellowship that are really struggling? They're hurting. Are you praying for them? Are you interceding for them? Because it's through those prayers that, and I, I how many people have to pray before God hears? God knows He hears already. But why does God use our prayer? Because he enjoins us. He allows us to participate. It's a a very spiritual and, and very, it's hard to even describe, but we're called to pray, so we must pray as a people. And as we pray, God does these wonderful, wonderful works. That's why Paul says this. Notice behind me on the screen, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. That verse is so important. We need to be praying all the time. Now, let me just stop here for just a moment because there's this great truth here that I want to reveal. Did you notice that Moses now has a couple of assistants? It's Aaron and this guy named Hur. Now, these are seconds they're not first in line they're not decision makers they're assistants they're helpers it's Aaron and her here that are assisting Moses and they become important at least to Moses he's the one that's writing this text and he mentions their names but it's her that i've always thought about her and i i want you to think about this man his name is her but it's this man and he's assisting Moses now on the mountain, holding up one of his arms during this battle. Her wasn't a great leader like Moses. Her wasn't a great general like Joshua out in the battlefield. He wasn't a high priest like Aaron became. He wasn't a warrior. He didn't even fight in the army. He was just her. And here's the important point. How valuable was her? When I was a young Christian, it was this story that helped me to support and be an assistant pastor for 25 years to Pastor John Miller. It was this verse. Because I recognized that this is what God wanted me to be. And without hers, you'll never have a Moses. And in this fellowship, we have a lot of these. They're out in the parking lot in the cold. Right, It's cold outside. They're out there right now. They're hers. They come early Sunday morning and clean. They're they're ushering tonight. They even do security on odd nights like Tuesdays and all these other weird nights. Antonio's here all the time watching after you ladies on Tuesday nights. And Thursday nights, the Spanish fellowship. These are hers. These are assistants. And let me just say this. These people in our fellowship and just like her are just as important as anybody else. We're all just serving the Lord together. But her, he wasn't a Moses. He wasn't a Joshua. He wasn't a fighter. He just held up the arms of God bless those who hold up the arms of the assistants. Those people that are in the back holding up Pastor John's arms, those people that are Holding up Pastor Chris's arms. Very, very important. It's those that hold up my own. Important point. Here's the lesson to the church Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can teach Sunday school. Not everybody's an evangelist. Not everybody's a missionary. But God has placed everybody, every one of you has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. And you need to use that gift in the body of Christ in order for it to be whole. You shouldn't just come to church and sit and listen and walk home. You should have a ministry. Maybe your ministry is outside the church, and I've seen that happen, where God uses a a specific person outside the church, and they come here to get reinvigorated and and, uh, revived. But within the body of Christ, we're hers, and we're to help and lift up the arms of those that are serving in larger capacity. And everyone is an important part of the body of Christ. Every one of you. I I, I see your faces when I pray. You're essential to this church and the things that happen here in this church. So one man has said, and I've read this over the years, truth is while we can't do everything, we can all do something. Amen? In closing tonight, look at verse 14. It's the, the Lord is... My banner. But then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of these people from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord was sworn, has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I really love how this story ends here, this, this chapter 17 ends, because Moses gives credit to God for the winning of the battle, not to Joshua, not the general, not the fighters. He gives credit to the Lord. And so as an act of worship and thanksgiving, he praises the name and he uses this Yahweh Nisse. Yahweh Nisse Nisse describes a flag or a banner. And the idea is that God is victorious. God has won the battle. And there's a banner waving, Yahweh Nisse. I, I just love Moses. He, he turns this situation that was very uh, dangerous, and he gives all the credit to the Lord by, in a sense, waving this flag or waving this banner to give God all the glory. So again, here in this chapter... We see God's power and man's effort working together as the prayer of Moses and God's power defeats the enemy. And then Moses, he strikes the rock. But only God could bring that water for provision out of that rock, just as Jesus was struck and he provides provision for every sinner. Joshua fought, Moses prayed and god gave the victory over that battle with the amalekites there it's it's a beautiful story i love that banner that the lord is my banner yahweh nisse the lord has won the lord has conquered the fight beautiful story let's pray father i thank you for the word what a l- glorious glorious uh, ending to this this first battle of the children of Israel. There'll be many more to come. And yet, Lord, you're teaching them through each trial and each test. And so, Lord, I I just pray for any in the congregation here tonight that are going through difficulties, trials. Maybe they're in the wilderness wandering. Father, I pray that you would increase their faith, uh, Word says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Lord, help us to read your word. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to trust in you for all of our difficulties, all of our trials. Those people in our lives that, that, are, that really are a trial to us, Lord, that we would trust you with them. You love them. You, you died for them, Lord, that we would be patient we would be prayerful. And Father, I just want to thank you for the men and women in this church that are like Aaron and her holding up Moses' hands. I thank you for the men and women that hold up the hands of this ministry and the different servants here. Lord, bless them and encourage them. And may we serve together our great God. May we wave the banner. may we just wave that banner Yahweh nisse we give you thanks and praise and Jesus we pray amen let's stand together